Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the surreptitious Forrest and the sycophantic Brent. What is Brent a sycophant for? He's a sycophant for truth and knowledge and logic and reason, all those good buzzwords. Uh-huh. That's nice. Thank you. Brent is a zealot for you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And forests? Well, forest is surreptitious, so he's sneaky. He's trying to avoid detection. Ooh. You know, there's a lot of uh as we're gonna learn, there's a lot of SJWs afoot, and so we need to avoid them and, you know, oh, yeah. s- slip under the radar to make sure that they don't I don't know, uh, create a safe space where we're not allowed to talk. <laughs> An or unwanted safe space. Reply to us. our. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that's the clearly. The battle of ideas will not be televised. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so uh, one thing we want to start with a few updates before we get into the meat of the episode. Uh, first, we have three new patrons. Uh, those are Robert Overlees, Steve Odom, and Gato Del Agua. Which I believe <laughs> is water cat. I believe that's what that means. A lot of um, so, cats being, uh, a lot of animals are patrons. In exactly. Our, yeah, it's, I like that. Exactly. Griffin, Griffin. is a cat. Uh, we got Gato del Agua. So we're not a speciest <laughs> podcast. We will accept money from all species, whether you're a cat or a human or a dog or an iguana, jellyfish even. Yeah. All are welcome into the ordinarium to give us your money. So for only $1 a month on Patreon, you'll be supporting us and you'll get a shout out on the show. And for $5 a month, you'll get access to our monthly premium episodes. So you'll want to check those out. Also, a few other announcements. One, we have merch. We mentioned this on our previous episode. Our secret merch project is now live. If you go to nondarecallitordinary.com slash merch, you will find our merch store where you can buy t-shirts, mugs, notebooks, all sorts of things with a design from Shay O'Sullivan, a super fan of the podcast. Yeah, we really appreciate cool her design. Mm-hmm. Really super very, cool. Yeah, Thank you, Shay. Thank you. And it features prominently Nessie, the good old Loch Ness monster, uh, a crystal, and some orbs or cryptos, uh, depending on how you look at it. So either way, <laughs> very cool design, and you'll want to get your shirt as soon as possible. All right, so what are we talking about today, Dylan? Today we are continuing our series on clown colleges. Today we're going to focus on Prager University. You've probably seen their videos or their ads because if anyone spent even a single minute in the realm of concrete reality known as YouTube, (laughs) then it's very likely that you've seen an ad from PragerU and you've been subjected to all kinds of high-level important ideas. And if you want to know all about these ideas, where they came from, and where they're going, I believe Forrest has some information on that. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about PragerU. So first of all, who is Dennis Prager? Well, since we're fair and balanced at None Dare Call Ordinary, we didn't go to some libtard rag or something to tell us who Dennis Prager is and what he stands for. We went right to the source, and according to his official website's biography page, there's a list of blurbs telling us about the man and they gave us a truly wonderful sense of his humble nature. Quote, An amazingly gifted man and moralist whose mission in life has been crystallized to get people obsessed with what is right and wrong. One of the ten most powerful people in Los Angeles. A moral compass. One of America's five best speakers. Wait, wait, so I'm assuming the other four are Alex Jones, Michael Savage, 
Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin. What do you guys think? Do you think that's a pretty good? That sounds that sounds about so. right. Actually, no, no. Actually, I think Mark Levin is on a different list of the most annoying voices of all time. Oh, um, I think it's yeah, it's the Three Horsemen. It's Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, and Dinesh D'Souza. Mm, um, yes, yeah. But you guys know that I old think you're saying. Right. That, that <laughs> yeah, I think that is the actual list of the worst voices of all time. And not they're and not annoying voices merely because of their content. No. It's actually the Just the, the timbre of their voices. Yeah, yep. Incredibly annoying. The sheer horror. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to None Dare Call Ordinary. This is Mark Levin. <laughs> All right. Getting back to the official bio. We're told that Dennis is a true Renaissance man. He speaks Russian and Hebrew and has given lectures in both Russia and Israel. Mm, that sounds like collusion to me. Shh. Mm, don't say mm. it. Don't say it. <laughs> we have to be surreptitious about that Ooh. kind of thing. <laughs> there it is. Download process. He's written five books, one of which is comprised of 44 of his essays. He went through the Bible verse by verse in lectures he gave spanning from 1992 to 2006. Wow, you know, I'd actually like to do a verse by verse comparison with Prager's lectures and our first series on the book of Revelation, just to see how they match up. Kind of compare those. Yeah, I don't think they're going to match up very well. I mean, it took him 1992 (laughs) to 2006. So that's 14 years to get through the whole Bible. I mean, we got through book of revelation in just two episodes so here's the thing though dylan, i don't think they're gonna match up dylan where you, you guys just trashed the book of revelations where prager tried to truly understand the meaning of john's dmt visions so that's, oh that's that's, that's fair i imagine he really dug into the truth was, behind right. those yeah. ergot yeah, exactly. delusions what are those you guys are just dismissive but he was yeah. trying to figure it out yeah that's fair that's fair and just to give you all a sense of what a great use of time his five-part rational bible series is just the portion on the book of exodus alone is on 14 cds clocking in at nearly 17 hours wow oh wow. that that you know that's just a little longer than most true crime netflix series i don't know about you guys but i need 13 hours did michael peterson really murder his wife eh, who knows but 13 <laughs> hours in you still don't know i'm just glad netflix is no longer sending dvds because oh, to watch God. that series it would take forever oh, so much postage oh. well here's one thing i didn't know about uh, dennis prager and did not see coming and that is that there is a short film that he co-wrote called for goodness sake part two which was directed by South Park creator Trey Parker. <laughs> and I watched some of it. And and the part with Trey Parker and Matt Stone at about two minutes in is actually fucking hilarious. And it is 100% certain that Trey Parker and or Matt Stone wrote the scene, not Dennis Prager. I'm absolutely yeah, certain yeah, of that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Did you guys know also that Jason Alexander stars for a brief moment um, in For Goodness Sake Part 1? So what oh, happens nice. is, yeah, he returns an R5UCVCR to a clerk at an appliance store who fucked up and sold him a more expensive VCR by mistake. So, you know, George from Seinfeld felt bad, so he came back and returned the R5UC. He only wanted the 393 model, just so you guys Oh, by the way, that is the least George Costanza thing I have ever, (laughs) ever heard of. And in the same vein, directing a Christian fundamentalist propaganda film is the least Trey Parker thing I've ever heard of either. So It's amazing. Ah, Dennis Prager, man, he is... He knows what he's doing. He knows how to get that talent. Yep. Also, another little known fact, as we've said on numerous occasions, this is a neocon podcast. Oh, yeah. And it turns out that Prager even wrote a few articles for our official sponsors, the Weekly Standards, or I mean, at least the remnants of the Weekly Standard or whatever. we. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, do you guys think, though, that since I outed myself as an undercover SJW with my (laughs) anti-choice abortion comment, we'll lose any uh, neocon sponsors or... 
You think no, we're safe? I probably not. I think we are oh. safe because technically we're all that's left of the weekly standard, so they really just have to deal with it if they even want to exist at all. I mean, this is all they got. Also, Dave Rubin still claims he's pro-choice, but he's still part of, like, you know, the right-wing propaganda system, so I guess it's okay. You're okay. (laughs) Yeah, as long as we're also producing neocon propaganda, we can say what we want. We just have to throw in that propaganda in there as well. As long as we're, like, supporting hegemony over the entire globe by the United States, then everything's okay. (laughs) Exactly. So in his off time, Prager also apparently conducts orchestras playing classical music. He would uh, fit in right at a Bob Jones University. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. It's not rock. It's not jazz. It's (laughs) classical music. It's no fusion. But of all these amazing abilities and feats of genius, his crowning achievement is clearly Prager University. Quote, in 2011, Dennis co-founded with Alan Erstrin Prager University, an institution of higher learning on the Internet (laughs) with a unique difference. All the courses are five minutes long. (laughs) The courses distill the best ideas of the best minds in the world and cover the disciplines of political science, history, philosophy, religion, economics, and psychology. The faculty includes Paul Johnson, George Gilder, Arthur Brooks, Peter Kreeft, and many others. I just love how the quality of education speaks for itself in the length of the courses. (laughs) Exactly. Another way they could have phrased that is a unique difference All the courses are too short for you to actually learn anything. I mean, that would be another that would be another spin on it. That's all I'm saying. So who are some of these best minds? Here's a list from a quick first glance at all the videos on the PragerU YouTube channel. So first off, we have Jordan Peterson, who is a professional Uh. lobster. No, but but really, if you don't know who he is, count yourself super, super lucky. Basically, he can be described as. Joseph Campbell meets Tony Robbins, meets Deepak Chopra, meets E.O. Wilson, meets Terrence McKenna, meets Mark Levin, meets Buddha. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Peterson is Canadian, but has said if he were American, he would consider voting for Trump. So that's kind of honestly all I need to know about him. It wasn't just that. He said he would have pulled the lever. He didn't he didn't say I'd consider it. It would be straight up. Oh, yeah. Hillary versus yeah, Trump. I true. would have said yeah. Trump. Boom. Yeah. God, God. Tells you everything you need to know. But remember, though, as he himself says that he actually doesn't do politics. Oh, he is not right. a oh, yeah. political commentator. I mean, this I mean, this includes here are some of his non-political stances. Uh, he will not use trans folks preferred pronouns. A very non-political thing. Um, also, he is disturbed by the very existence of women, i.e. agents of chaos. Again, Ooh. not a political stance whatsoever. And you, if you lock him up for voicing his non-political stances, he said he will cause a hunger strike. That's yeah. on the record. And then there's uh, Steve Bannon, who was Donald Trump's former 2016 campaign manager and chief strategist at the White House. I think that's you know enough said on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, in fact, Brent, I'm sorry, but I think you got to bring yep, the spreadsheet yep. out again. Yeah, let me get it out. Okay, yes. so what? Hang on. Yeah, was Bannon was Bannon Trump's 78th campaign manager or 79th? I can't. I lose see. track. Sometimes. Actually, hang on, I found it. Uh, you're actually lowballing it. Um, we are up to 276 now. I think. Oh, Ooh, okay. I think that's the, uh, wow! 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 Number. By the end of the year, we're going to have to learn about higher orders of cardinality of infinity (laughs) just to keep track of all these uh, campaign managers that are coming in and out. And then, of course, there's a very lovely woman named Michelle Malkin who once wrote a book called The Case for Internment, Ah. an explicitly pro-racial profiling tract which claimed FDR rounding up innocent Japanese Americans and putting them into concentration camps was just, hey, that was totally cool. 
And that eh, we might as well do the same thing to people that look like they're from the Middle East. I mean, oh, why yeah. Not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But not anyone who looks like they are from the Philippines, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. You know, one I'll give I'll give Michelle Malkin this. She's the only person who has a consistent policy on the morality of putting innocent people into concentration camps. Now, <laughs> it's the wrong policy, but at least it's consistent, damn it. At least, at least it's consistent. That's true. Exactly. That's a good point. And then, of course, there's Paul Joseph Watson, deplatformed and replatformed InfoWars and Prison Planet conspiracy theorist. Nice. Although, nice. if I remember correctly, Dylan, was it six or eight years or something like that in which he hasn't said anything conspiratorial? You know, I think he said 10, if I'm not mistaken, but it was mm. a lie, so I didn't think it was very important to remember. <laughs> <laughs> hey, facts matter, man. And then there's, of course, Carl Benjamin, self-described left-wing liberal that also happens to pal around with far-right lunatics. Oh, yeah, wow. and we're going we're gonna to be talking about good old Carl a little later in the episode, um, but also he's known as Sargon of Akkad, if you've, uh, you've probably heard that name before, sadly to say. I'm, I'm sorry you've heard it. And he calls himself that because he's a fucking nerd. <laughs> and Carl Benjamin, he's in the Tim Pool school of, quote, being on the left, but exclusively pandering to alt-right dorks. That's kind of his business model. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's running for uh, MP for UKIP. And uh, if you know anything about UKIP, you know that is the leftiest party in the UK right now. So he is definitely on the left. Cool. <laughs> Another high-level individual is Dave Rubin. And if you want to know more about him, I recommend you follow at Dave underscore Rube on Twitter, where you can simultaneously <laughs> learn everything you need to know about the real Dave Rubin, yeah. who's a walking self-parody, <laughs> while still supporting our uh, podcast here. Yeah. yeah, fully agree, fully agree. And then there's Donald Trump Jr. Well, enough said. Wait, okay. wait, wait. Uh, he's the guy who um, shares the stage with Jordan Jordan Peterson on occasion, right? I think I've, I think I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah the non-political okay. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Eric Trump. Eric Trump sadly has not yet made an appearance on PragerU. I do not believe. Oh man, they once he appears, then you know that it's a truly great university. Yep. Exactly. Great, great university. Exactly. A tremendous, in fact, believe me, the best. <laughs> and then there's, of course, Candace Owens. Who said national extremist of the National Socialist Party, one Adolf Hitler, you might have heard of him, wasn't a nationalist after all, hmm. but rather a globalist. That's a plot twist. I bet nobody saw it coming. Well, I saw it coming. I mean, <laughs> if you want your nation to cover the whole globe, I mean, that's clearly globalist. <laughs> and then there is the wonderful Tucker Carlson. Aww. And if you haven't heard of this very obscure individual... He's like a hybrid Frankenstein monster hodgepodge of socialists, isolationists, neoconservative, white supremacists, and capitalist ideologies. Oh, and he has one of the most watched pundit shows on network television. Good. Yeah, you know, honestly, when he makes that whiny, confused look, I can't help but think of how he embodies that tough, red-blooded American patriotism of my father <laughs> and his father before him. <laughs> I mean, it's like when you listen to that patriotic alpha male voice of Mark Levin, you know, it's like, but he's, you know, by two, actually by 2019 standards, Alan Combs would actually be the perfect tough conservative voice uh, <laughs> pundits on TV here. Bring him back. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It might have been Bill Hicks. I don't remember who said it, but that face that Tucker Carlson makes, it's like the face your dog would make if you showed it a card trick. That's the kind of confused face that so Tucker true. Carlson so has, has perfected. And also, one thing that's funny about Tucker Carlson is if I wanted to be the kind of doofus that argues that the Nazis were actually socialists, I think Tucker Carlson would be kind of exhibit A. Yep. I mean, I think he's got that weird <laughs> yeah. mix yep. 
of thinking that Latin Americans trying to come to the U.S. is an invasion, but also corporations are yeah, bad. So, I mean, he would be exhibit If a. you've ever watched his show, it'll be like, by the way, Elizabeth Warren is right about absolutely everything. And up next, we're going to talk about how we're going to deport all the illegal immigrants. Like, that's basically... <laughs> yeah. That's basically a Tucker Carlson show. Another high-level individual um, is Charlie Kirk. And Ooh. he is the Hitler youth... Oh, no, I mean the Trump youth. Oh, I'm sorry. The conservative youth... Uh, organizer charlie kirk yeah that's he's it. also the turning point usa guy oh he's also part of that organization as well nice and then there's milwaukee sheriff david clark and this is a really great guy he once deprived an inmate suffering from bipolar disorder from drinking water for seven days resulting in his death good oh and he was once tapped by donald trump to be assistant secretary at the department of homeland security and was even floated as a possible replacement for James Comey to head the FBI. Wow, wow that wow. would have been you know, amazing. I, you know, I, I some of those aren't as bad as they sound. For example, so I'm you know I suffer from bipolar disorder, um, but it's a little known fact that depriving someone of water for seven days actually cures bipolar disorder. So oh. it's not as bad Shit. as it sounds. It cures everything as it as it yeah. happens. Yeah, um, yeah. Or actually, yeah, maybe Sheriff Clark is just like a breatharian, like a secret breatharian. He doesn't believe yeah, in drinking. It could or, be. Yeah. He's just forcing them to go from watarian <laughs> to breatharian. To deatharian. Yeah. yeah. yeah to, <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least, my personal favorite, Ben Shapiro. Uh, and if you don't know who he is, I suggest that's a you problem. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. a you problem. Yeah, just think this generation's Mark Levin. That's kind of basically it, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. All right, so now we have a pretty good sense of some of the high-level important geniuses you'll meet at PragerU. But what's the curriculum like? And can I earn a degree here? Or, like, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it is a university, yeah. so you should be able to get a degree, exactly. I imagine. <laughs> Again, from the Mother Jones article, quote, At PragerU, police are not biased against black men, and man-made climate change is debatable. Oh. You'll find takes on animal rights against $15 minimum wage against the gender wage gap doesn't exist and why the South turned Republican, nothing to do with race. Prager has hosted a few dozen videos himself, including just say Merry Christmas, <laughs> his take on the war on you know, Christmas college. genre. Right. And he wants you an apologia for men who ogle women. <laughs> I have to admit, when I first when I first heard you say all this, when I heard the phrase man-made climate change is debatable, I imagined a debate between Dennis Prager and man-made climate change. I thought that's what was going to happen. That makes just as much sense as anything you'll find in these courses anyway. Quote, unquote. <laughs> that's true. Courses. That's true. Honestly, on a total side note, I opened my iPhone news uh, app a couple days ago and I saw a CNN article saying, quote, under pressure from retailers to prevent a move that would likely have caused prices of popular consumer goods to spike, AIDS caution the new tariffs would effectively, quote, ruin Christmas. Oh. So... That's uh, I just enjoy that Trump literally started a war on Christmas. That's just the way it is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Starbucks cups wow. were nothing. He is truly, truly waging the war. So of this university's origins, Mother Jones reports, quote, the spark for PragerU actually came from Estrin, a former screenwriter on TV shows like The Practice and Touched by an Angel. In 2001, Prager hired him to produce his radio program. Seven years later, during a promotional cruise on the Indian Ocean, some of Prager's listeners approached his lieutenant to suggest that Prager start his own university. Estrin was skeptical. It was too daunting, he recalls. But then I had a revelation that rather than try to build a building, we should do a virtual university. Oh. All right. Brilliant. So it's not a university. 
and there's no degree. It's just a collection of YouTube videos. And I think that that's very fitting for our times that we call a collection of five minute long YouTube videos a university. It's kind of, yeah, it is perfect because I mean, even a diploma mill will get you a degree. Yeah. And there's a building involved, I think, in a diploma mill. Yeah, Um, that's that's true because apparently the hardest part about building a university, it's not getting, it's not building excellent research institutions or making sure you're getting the best professors you can. It's actually building the building itself. That's the <laughs> hardest part about running a university. I have a great suggestion. Let's start an online university where the entry-level courses are you know, building, construction, and design. Then for credit, your students pay the university to actually build the university. Oh, I like that. Get them to build it. Yeah. So what? why the conservative ideology? What is it that makes Mr. Prager tick? Strangely enough, Dennis Prager actually voted for Jimmy Carter in 1976. As he explains, quote, I voted Democrat through Jimmy Carter's election in 1976. He was the last Democrat for which I voted. Obviously, I underwent an intellectual change and it wasn't easy. Becoming a Republican was emotionally and psychologically like converting to another religion. That sounds about right, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In fact, when I first voted Republican, I felt as if I had abandoned the Jewish people. Okay, sounds about right again. To be a Jew meant being a Democrat. It was that simple. It was and remains that fundamental to many American Jews' identity. Therefore, it took a lot of thought to undergo this conversion. I had to understand both liberalism and conservatism. Indeed, I have spent a lifetime in a quest to do so. (laughs) So it looks like from from this, I guess Dennis Prager was basically the Dave Rubin of his time. It's just perhaps more eloquent and less vacuous. Yeah, that sounds about right. Let's just say he was on the front lines in the battle of ideas. Uh, Many brave soldiers like Prager have uh, lost the battle of ideas, but but could eventually win the war of concepts. So we have to think big picture here. Oh, nice. Big picture. What was this conversion like? Prager explains that the most compelling reason to become a conservative is due to the fact that they don't buy into the hippy-dippy delusion of the myth of the innate goodness of mankind. (sighs) a philosophical underpinning that can only lead to ruin. Quote, left-to-center doctrines hold that people are basically good. On the other side, conservative doctrines hold that man is born morally flawed, not necessarily born evil, but surely not born good. Surely. This is so important to understanding the left-right divide because so many fundamental left-right differences emanate from this divide. Perhaps the most obvious one is that conservatives blame those who engage in violent criminal activity for their behavior more than liberals do. Material poverty doesn't cause murder, rape, or terror. Moral poverty does. That's one of the great divides between the left and right. And it largely emanates from their differing views about whether human nature is innately good. All right. So weirdly enough, I actually kind of agree with Prager that human nature is by no means innately good. And still I identify as, I guess, a liberal. And I guess that puts me at odds with liberal political philosophy, which can partially be traced to one of the founders of classical liberalism. And by that, I, I don't mean the Dave Rubin bastardization <laughs> of classical liberalism. I mean, real classical liberalism. And that would be John Jacques Rousseau, who famously wrote, man is born pure. It is society that corrupts. So this is the exact opposite of the very Catholic doctrine of original sin, which would be considered very conservative. So I think this that this distinguishes me from conservatives like Prager in that even though I don't see human beings as being innately good, I think it's like a weird leap in logic to therefore squarely blame individuals for their bad impulses. So like, I think that our behavior is caused by a very complex interplay between our environment, genes, brain wiring, even things, you know, we don't even think about like allergies and microorganisms. Yeah, 
So to simply proclaim everything bad anyone does is like a you problem, as Ben Shapiro might put it. That seems like a bit silly to me. So yeah. am, am I missing something or does that does that make sense? No, that makes sense to me. I mean, so because yeah. insofar as I agree with the claim that we're not born innately good. And frankly, I'm not convinced that claim actually makes a lot of sense, frankly. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. I think. It's a state of nature argument. Yeah, but, but I yeah. think that's why I have liberal tendencies, you know, because I think I think belief in, say, laissez-faire capitalism, it's it, that's what requires a belief that we're fundamentally good, that we're innately yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. And that if you have a laissez-faire capitalist system and we're all angels, it's all it's a kind of thing that worked out because we're not going to try to screw each other just to make a buck. Yeah, well, I, you know what's interesting, though, because, like, there's social liberalism and classical liberalism, and actually, like, the in the classical liberalism, like, sphere, you know, believe that man is innately good, and that's one reason why laissez-faire capitalism is supposed to work. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And because we're not, you know, born innately good is we need these societal mechanisms, including governmental mechanisms, to ensure distributive justice, to ensure that people get what they need to survive and to thrive despite the fact that if left to our own devices, that wouldn't happen. So we need something from on high, so to speak. We need these mechanisms to guarantee that we're going to see economic justice. So it's kind of, it's strange to me, this idea that especially, it seems because I think he's exactly right, though, that there is this divide uh, between kind of the causes of crime, for example, like this idea that conservatives want to put more blame on the individual's um, but they're just wrong because, <laughs> I mean, it's just it involves this silly idea that we're just these purely autonomous decision making machines that can basically decide to do anything we want, regardless of the society that we're born into. It's this really kind of individualistic perspective, which just seems radically incorrect. Yeah, unfortunately, you guys are just the problem is, is you guys are just too smart. Um, oh, you're going to have to reel that back real fast. Um, and actually, you have to understand that Prager, you um, every single issue on planet Earth is black or white. Um, you have two options. Humans oh. are either inherently good or inherently bad. Mm. That's the only options. Microorganisms be damned. Oh, man. So which is it? <laughs> I have my capital S science degree. I think we should do a scientific approach here and put this binary choice on Twitter. Ooh, That's how you find out. Is man good? Is man bad? Yep. Put it up. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, so with that little philosophical interlude out of the way, let's get on to the fun stuff. Woo! And one of those very fun things is a PragerU video called Why I Left the Left, <laughs> starring everybody's favorite classical liberal slash crypto fascist platformer, <laughs> Dave Rubin. Now, despite Prager believing classical liberalism is a foolhardy philosophy based upon a grave error in understanding human nature, as we just went over, <laughs> That doesn't change the fact that at this university, he's going to allow Dave Rubin to try to persuade you to adopt the philosophy of classical liberalism. And one reason for why this might be allowed is because the term classical liberal has been recently drained of any meaning by Internet grifters. <laughs> Quote, progressives used to say, I may disagree with what you say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Not anymore. Hmm. And certainly, this isn't a cartoonish overgeneralization. Guys, do you remember when Noam Chomsky came out recently and said free speech is bullshit and he will no longer defend your right to say things? Actually, I'm pretty sure that's not fake news. I missed that. Was that on RT? or? It oh, it could have been. on it... RT, yes. I, in oh. fact, RT was the only outlet that uh, reported it, actually. So, quoting Ruben, If you're black or female or Muslim or Hispanic or a member of any other minority group, you're judged differently 
than the most evil of all things, a white Christian male. <laughs> and again, <laughs> this is certainly not a cartoonish overgeneralization. No, not at all. Can you guys imagine if you were an Afro-Hispanic female Muslim? You would be privileged beyond all imagination, really. They automatically make you president. I think that's the uh, the, pro- the progressive agenda. And ironically, I think in Dave Rubin world, that description is like the Borg queen of SJWs. I think that's, <laughs> that's basically But I mean, jo- joking aside, he is right. I mean, that's why this podcast with three hosts who are, uh, well, we're not Christian, but we're white male and, you know, Christian ancestors or whatever. Yeah. Um, we have to just trade it amongst the other white males via like flash drives you know we we aren't able to even you know just put it on twitter and to put it on the (laughs) internet we have to it's like north korea for us (laughs) and i think uh i don't think that's right and i think he's absolutely right that that's what progressives want and have instituted in the united states of america absolutely (laughs) keyword instituted continuing dave rubin today's progressivism has become a faux moral movement Hurling charges of racism, bigotry, xenophobia, homophobia, Islamophobia, and a slew of other meaningless buzzwords at anyone they disagree with. (laughs) Wow. So I didn't know that these were just meaningless buzzwords. I sure am learning a whole lot at PragerU. Well, you know, honestly, according to actor John Voigt's Twitter account, which is where I get most of my information, uh, racism was, <laughs> quote, solved a long time ago by our forefathers. This is just true. So, yeah, it's solved. just true. 1776, racism is dead. If anybody wants to see just the creepiest, most depressing videos ever, go watch a John Voigt twitter youtube trump bootlicking session i think like you will believe for a moment that you live in north korea when you watch these believe me it's just too much continuing ruben the battle of ideas has been replaced by a battle of feelings and outrage has replaced honesty diversity reigns supreme as long as it's not that pesky diversity of thought. Mm, yeah. And I wonder, at what point was the battle of ideas ended? Is there perhaps a historian who can settle this for us? See, I actually think um, I know. I know the event. The battle of ideas ended when someone blocked a white nationalist on Twitter. <laughs> oh. I think. And, you know, the battle of ideas has just never recovered. Uh, and since hence, that point. brains are now in recovery mode forever. God, it's so sad. Again, though, guys, this is just one battle in a larger war. You may have lost the battle of ideas, but you can still win the war of concepts. There is Woo-hoo! still a glimmer of hope. So we have to yeah. keep our heads up. So continuing, Ruben, I can no longer call myself a progressive. I don't really call myself a Democrat either. I'm a classical liberal, a free thinker. And as much as I don't like to admit it, defending my liberal values has suddenly become a conservative position. So by the way, guys, tell me if you think this is right. I've noticed that when it comes to political grifters, there's this pattern of this narrative about how something used to be good and pure, but then was tarnished later on. So for Ruben, it was liberalism and progressivism itself, which lost its way and became regressive SJWism. For someone like Glenn Beck, it's the supposed libertarianism of our, you know, agrarian founding fathers, which was corrupted by progressivism itself. And maybe for Bitcoin carnivores, it was, of course, central banking and vegetarianism that corrupted (laughs) manliness. So I think conservative political philosophy is instructive here. These grifters are just sinful idiots and were so from the beginning. Yeah, I just it's it's this weird strategy where they turn a change in their personal beliefs into a political movement itself going around. Right. Yep. Yeah. So yep. it's that's 
it's that's not all that it Dave Rubin that's all it is. has either, you know, honestly changed his views about things or just changed his views because that's a better political grift. It's that he's still a progressive and liberal, just those movements themselves changed. I guess, I mean, my guess is that it's a way of not seeming disingenuous um, where you can claim like, look, I'm a steadfast believer in these principles. It's just the the thing that I used to think was the kind of origin and the bedrock of those principles itself has been corrupted. Mm, it's almost as if people like Dave Rubin and Glenn Beck are disingenuous grifters. It's almost, like, almost. almost. You know, Weird. I, for one, maybe this is a problem I need to address, uh, but I, for one, generally trust people who communicate via chalkboards as scribbled conspiracies and cry on camera. Oh, yeah. yeah Especially is... when they write words and then circle a few of them. Yeah. That's how you know. circling them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you better not trust Dave Rubin then because I have not seen him pull out the chalkboard yet. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. It turns out there may be some method to the madness of depleting the term classical liberal of all meaning. As the Mother Jones article puts it, the videos are, quote, engineered to sway those in the mushy middle, especially young people trying to figure out what they stand for. Prager's radio show has about 2 million weekly listeners to Rush Limbaugh's 14 million, Jesus. But Prager U's appeal goes well beyond the graying talk radio audience. More than 60% of its viewers are younger than 35, according to YouTube analytics. It's been estimated that, quote, 100 million individuals, almost one third of the U.S. population, have watched at least part of a PragerU video via Facebook, where the organization has more than 2.8 million followers. By meeting young people on their own turf, social media, smartphones, and addressing them amiably, Prager manages to deliver conservative thought in a package even never Trumpers are willing to open. So again, astute listeners will recognize the overriding theme of none dare call ordinary. And that is that the internet is the worst fucking thing ever invented. <laughs> God, ever. Yes. yes. I'm still waiting. You know, there's going to be a new Luddite movement where there, you know, people are committing acts of terror against just like the Twitter servers. I mean, that's coming. <laughs> that is definitely 100% coming. I mean, and, and it's fair because, you know, the anarcho primitivism is starting to make a whole lot more sense. It certainly is. Maybe we should we gave the civilization thing a try. Maybe we should, you know, step back a little bit. Actually, it's it's kind of funny because I did see a quote. It came from actually uh, intellectual dark web guru Sam Harris. But it was actually really funny because he's he tweeted at Jack Dorsey. He said, you should delete all of Twitter with just one last tweet from you saying, sorry, folks, we gave it a try, but it didn't work. <laughs> oh, I love it. I thought that would be brilliant. That would be excellent. He said, you will. He said, Jack, you will win the Nobel Prize. The PragerU strategy happens to be very much like the Cambridge Analytica scandal in which Cambridge Analytica, on behalf of the 2016 Trump campaign, used artificial intelligence and harvested Facebook data to predict which undecided and liberal-leaning voters could be swayed to vote for Trump. From a Guardian piece on the subject, quote, Using Facebook itself, advertisers are limited to broad demographic strokes and a few narrow algorithmically determined categories. Whether you like jazz music, say, or what your favorite sports team is. But with 253 further predictions, Cambridge Analytica could, ex-employee Chris Wiley says, craft adverts no one else could. A neurotic, extroverted, and agreeable Democrat could be targeted with a radically different message than an emotionally stable, introverted, intellectual one, each designed to suppress their voting intention. Even if the same messages, swapped around, would have the opposite effect. The actual issues for Wiley are simply the, quote, plain white toast of politics, waiting for the actual flavor to be loaded on. 
No one wants plain white toast. The job of the data, he says, is to learn the particular flavor or spice that will make the toast appealing. Right now, the only flavor I'm experiencing is the vomit in my mouth. That is fucking <laughs> gross. And, you know, honestly, as a liberal, this whole toast analogy would have interest me if they would have went with the avocado, maybe instead of spice. And maybe like a yes. multi-grain toast over white racist toast or something. I don't know. Certainly not classical liberal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And so it is with PragerU that it's all about the flavoring, not the white toast, that makes all the difference. A good instance of how flavoring is used to sway these unsuspecting sub-35 year olds is found in the PragerU video, The Government Can't Solve Climate Change, <laughs> where a very liberal looking dude. In fact, he looks a little bit like Brandt even, <laughs> tells us <laughs> that anthropogenic climate change is of course real, even though he says he gets a lot of flack for it, but that the free market, yes, the same free market we went over in our crypto craziness series, is the obvious solution. Quote, <laughs> when it comes to actually saving the environment or saving the planet, politicians and government bureaucrats are probably the worst people to do that. Look at the EPA. Just a few hours from here in Durango, about three years ago, the EPA spilled a million gallons of waste into the Animus River. It was an environmental disaster. And think about how they handled the money, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I watched this video. He, he's scoffing at the idea that the EPA is not doing its job to protect the environment, which, you know, sure, it's a legitimate concern under the Trump administration. <laughs> You know, setting Scott Pruitt aside for a minute, Trump's pick as the newly appointed head of the EPA is Andrew Wheeler. He's got a great career as an attorney, used to represent Robert Murray, who is the largest independent operator of coal mines in the U.S. So, hmm. so yeah, the EPA is basically compromised. So, good times. Yeah, and so this is why we should just get rid of it. Yes, <laughs> get rid of it. Because what's going to happen is bad politicians are just going to elect bad regulators. Exactly. Therefore... We should just not even bother. Exactly. That's kind of the that's the solution. All right. So anyways, this guy, he goes on to a tirade about the Solyndra scandal. You know, Sean Hannity's favorite punching bag. Oh, man. I Good times. Good, good times. Yeah. Remember when those were the scandals and then all the predictions that Al Gore got wrong and anecdotes of environmentally friendly free market practices. But I won't waste any more of your time. The point of PragerU isn't to reinforce the beliefs of your standard 70 year old talk radio listener. It's to remold the malleable brains of young people with liberal instincts to adopt conservative beliefs. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, plus, I mean, the dude has good hair and, you know, has cool 60s throwback glasses, which all that really matters in climate science these days is the, yep. those things. Quit, so. quit making yourself sound cooler by making what this guy narcissist. who looks like you look cooler. <laughs> Total narcissist. Just I like see what's going really, on here. <laughs> I really like this guy's look, actually. Uh, <laughs> By affirming the existence of anthropogenic climate change and addressing you with an amiable, young, liberal-looking guy, a susceptible, young, liberal-leaning person might very well take the bait and get hooked into conservatism without even knowing it. It's like flavored jewel pods. They use these to get kids hooked on nicotine before they even know it. Ooh. So it's, uh, I guess... PragerU is the jewel pod of conservatism. <laughs> and I hope everyone appreciates that I made this joke despite alienating our entire vaping audience. It's very, Aww. they're very touchy about the flavored jewel pods. A huge dip in our listens. Yeah, but well, you know, I did it for comedy. Honestly, my doppelganger in this video had me in the first few sentences of the video when he simply said, quote, I'm in the beautiful area of Moab, Utah. 
as you can see, we got the Great Colorado River behind us and these fantastic rocks. <laughs> so, you know, I could just immediately tell with that sentence, I could trust this man's opinion on the extremely complicated subject of global climate change over the overwhelming majority of climate scientists. So oh, that yeah. Fantastic rocks just really sold me. <laughs> the Trump School of Geology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He must be a geologist. Uh, his name is Will Witt. Um, and who the fuck is that, you may ask? What's his expertise? Well, his background, you know, is it in climate science? Is he a geologist, obviously? I mean, he's talking about fantastic rocks. Well, according to PragerU, quote, Will Witt is a Colorado native. He attended the University of Colorado Boulder for two years before he dropped out, a decision he made based on the relentless indoctrination the universities in America constantly push. <laughs> before working for PragerU, he worked with other nonprofits to help spread the values of freedom and conservatism across America. Will Witt now creates online content for PragerU and helps inspire young people worldwide to fight for the values they believe in. Uh, uh, one more thing, honestly, about this video. This is my favorite. I was looking through the comments on the YouTube page, and this is my favorite um, by the uh, YouTube handle Just Another Like You. It says, quote, potential solution to climate change. One, reforestation. Two, carbon engineering. Dot, dot, dot. No socialism slash communism required. So that's <laughs> that's good. Just add capitalism. All right. And the thing is, this Will Witt guy, remember, he's, you know, he's not some ideological conservative bully trying to deny science and talk about how, you know, God promised Noah that he'd never destroy the earth again or whatever <laughs> such nonsense that a cool, progressive, hip, 20-something young man would never buy into. No. Rather, this cool guy is giving you the real-world examples of EPA mismanagement. Yo, facts and logic, that's all. Oh, yeah. No better example of this kind of trickery can be found than within the character of Carl Benjamin, also known mm. by his internet goon alias, Sargon of Akkad. <laughs> and at first glance, Benjamin doesn't strike you as a far-right lunatic. He speaks with a soothing British accent and seems jolly enough. One thinks that this is just an intelligent young fellow that simply had it with blue-haired college kids going too far. He's just a principled individual that wants to bring liberalism back to its roots. Or is he? Mm. Benjamin was interviewed by Candace Owens in one of those wonderful PragerU videos. And in just watching the trailer for the interview, I'm not going to watch the whole fucking thing. Two <laughs> things stick out. He assures us that British society is so authoritarian that even, quote, class clowns like himself are being targeted, whatever that means. <laughs> And that the recent and that the recent uptick in neo-Nazism terror attacks is the direct result of deplatforming far-right lunatics on social media, <laughs> thereby depriving them of an outlet to voice their quote concerns. Oh, their concerns. I wonder if Carl thinks that he himself deprived them of a safe space on social media by, and this is totally true, replying to their tweets with pictures of gay porn. I wonder <laughs> if he thinks that scared them off. No, because only Silicon Valley libtards like Jack Dorsey have any real power oh, these days. That's the okay. truth. I got you. Period. That's fair. That's fair. So like Dave Rubin, Carl Benjamin identifies himself as a classical liberal, even though he supposedly hates identity politics of all stripes. Indeed, he goes to great lengths to assure you that he's totally a liberal, despite his frequent associations with the far right, even joining the far right UKIP party in the UK with far right ideologues Milo Yiannopoulos and Paul Joseph Watson. Oh, and it turns he's out being, that he's being surreptitious oh, in the name of liberalism. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> it turns out that 
UKIP became so extreme and went so far to the right and even fascistic that it alienated even UKIP founder Nigel Farage, uber (laughs) far-right founding father of Brexit. Even he couldn't take it. But again, despite a lot of the far-right associations, just remember, Carl is a liberal. Keep repeating that to yourself. Of course. (laughs) All right. So at this point, I think we've got a pretty good idea of what Prager University is. It's a way to rebrand the same bullshit we've heard for decades on talk radio in a hip, cool, and obfuscatory way that will appeal to millennials and Generation Z, whilst also perhaps inadvertently serving as a gateway drug for the harder conspiracy stuff and ultimately the alt-right. A perfect example of this shtick is uh, Yiannopoulos' book that finally came out. I think it's called Dangerous, ooh, you know, or some ooh, bullshit ooh. like that. Edgy. But I, I remember I went into a Barnes and Noble and I saw it and it was right. This was right after the whole, you know, defending pedophilia thing. And it was originally uh, taken off the shelves. The publisher kind of recalled the book and said they weren't going to put it out. But I guess he self-published it basically or made a, a vanity press to publish it. And so I'm like, all right, you know, what's so dangerous about That's this guy? Punk rock. Uh, let me uh, take a look and see. And it's just the same dumb conservative bullshit. You'll find in ev- in like books by like Mike Huckabee, just he's gay and he's got frosted tips, so it's supposed to be oh god, he's you know, you know dangerous or something. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, like as a rule of thumb, if you see a book written by an author that is claiming that the ideas of his or her book is quote dangerous or edgy or whatever it is, just put it back. I mean, honestly, Dylan, <laughs> as Dylan says, it's completely unoriginal drivel. Usually, that's so. why. Yeah, I think Dave Rubin's book is called something like "Don't Burn This Book." Nice. Thinking for yourself in an age of insanity or something like that. I just I love that title of the Ruben book because it's a perfect encapsulation of just how hyperbolic they treat the phenomenon of people who are maybe a little, you know, kooky, who literally are just like replying to their tweets on Twitter. Like that's literally, <laughs> the, the, you know, they talk about the mob getting them. It's not like they're getting together to firebomb bookstores or to, you know, like, beat them to death in the street. What about the turn the book over to its back mob, you know? A lot <laughs> oh, of those God, people that going is, in there. That's the mob you got to worry up. about. Yeah. All right. So what else can we learn from this collection of YouTube videos? I mean, I'm sorry, university. <laughs> this is an institution of higher learning, after all. <laughs> exactly. In a Candace Owens interview with Steve Bannon, Bannon tells us, citing a whole bunch of supposed experts, quote, if you try to avoid the cartels to get into the United States... They will kill you on the Mexican side. Candace Owens follows that up with, so you're saying that the people coming over this border are cartel approved? What? What? (laughs) Bannon says, yes, the cartels are basically (laughs) taking their money. And that's how the cartels have a monopoly on it. Look, we've had people from Juarez come and thank us for building this wall. (laughs) I just I want to make sure I understand what you just said. So this is this is the this is the inference Candace Owen is making. So people trying to avoid the cartels to get to the U.S. are killed by the cartel. Okay, therefore, anyone who does make it to the U.S., is approved by the cartel. Is that the, is that, do I have that right? Well, if you were listening, Dylan, Candace asked that very same question and Steve says the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I got that. <laughs> Actually guys, you know, I already took this class last fall. Um, I've already had, 
evil brown people at the border are dangerous 101 my freshman year <laughs> oh uh, so i don't i don't have to take this at prager U this semester what's that michael savage university that you uh, yeah oh there? yeah that's true okay and i'm signed up for culture war 101 and race realism 102 for this semester so if you i don't know if you guys have the syllabus Ooh. yet but no, I think I'm gonna okay. take my. Uh, I'm gonna take this uh, KK class. I think that's oh, what okay. they call it. All case. Oh, um, okay. Very yeah. clever. Oh yeah. In a YouTube video titled "Why You Need to Be Tough," we're shown psychiatrist Stephen Marmer talking about how you gotta man up, accept the world as it is, and build Marmer. resilience. His pep talk <laughs> is juxtaposed to that famous video of a stereotypical SJW type screaming "No!" at Donald Trump's <laughs> inauguration. <laughs> In all seriousness, there's like three clips of stereotypical SJW looking folks, and the right has gotten a lot of mileage out of those. Yeah, those for, clips must be <laughs> like 15 years old at this point, I, and it's just amazing. I have a feeling that Dave Rubin will be on his deathbed in the far distant future, <laughs> and he'll be still tweeting the same video clip and going like, wow, look at these, look at these kids, they're all triggered, It'll be the same fucking person. It's definitely going to play in a loop at his funeral on a big screen above his casket (laughs) where he'll be buried with all of his ideas. So, So in another video, murderer David Clark, and I was going to say alleged murderer, I'm just going to say murderer David Clark tells us, quote, the totalitarian left has taken control of speech. Okay. They have cornered the market on it. They control the language. What you can and can't say, you can't say. It's weird. You can't do this. You have to call it this. If you control the language, you control the narrative. Wow. So, guys, I didn't know that the totalitarian left has destroyed the First Amendment. Wow. When did this happen? I'm very I I mean, again, I mean, again, they do control how many comments you get on Twitter. I mean, so clearly, (laughs) clearly freedom of speech is dead. They can comment on your tweets. It's just God, oh, no. totalitarian. Come on. I thought all these people worship the market. I mean, isn't it a good thing to, quote, corner the market on something? As long <laughs> as they did it without government aid, then sure. Yeah, exactly. But not for ideas. All this just is one thing is <laughs> where they love socialism. I mean, it really, in all seriousness, it is they want technological welfare. I mean, that's what they want. Like, I mean, this happened yeah, with create. They want to force yes. like people like Cloudfare to take care of 8chan. It's it's welfare, like period. That's what it is. Yeah, no, it's the people that are most vociferous about voicing support for cr- uh, making social media a public utility comes from the right. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. H- h- fucking hilarious. <laughs> that these are the people that for many years have argued, like, who cares if corporations get too big and powerful? It's like, oh, <laughs> right. but <laughs> if they're a powerful corporation that are run by apparently liberals, then, uh, oh, no, never mind. Regulate the fucking shit out of them. But my all-time favorite video of PragerU has to be from Ben, sounds like a you problem, Shapiro. And that is called, <laughs> Why Has the West Been So Successful? Awesome. So we get into the video, and after brushing off war, genocide, slavery, and environmental destruction, which Shapiro says are just par for the course in human history after all, I mean, come on. What makes the West unique, according to Shapiro, is that only in the West can there be found, within a meaningfully large scope and scale, the following. The abolition of slavery, religious tolerance, universal human rights, and the scientific method. Yeah, and those are all good things, and we just have to ignore that the opposite of all those things can also be found. He doesn't ignore it, Dylan. He says that it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's just that Western civilization has the opposite of it, and it too, and more of it. So be fair. I'm sorry I hallucinated there for a second. I'll calm down with that. All right. 
Any disagreements put aside here, I'd say Shapiro has at least a semi-decent point. I mean, come on. The Age of Enlightenment happened in the West. Thomas Jefferson, Isaac Newton, John Locke, Adam Smith, Charles Darwin, all Western thinkers that dramatically changed the face of the world and arguably in more ways than just about any other human beings in history. That is true. Um, I just, again, I want to be a party pooper. You know, we talk about the Enlightenment. And uh, by the way, I'm a philosophy PhD student. I'm peak Western civilization, right? I mean, that's like (laughs) as high as you get. But also the Enlightenment thinkers... They also had a lot of bad ideas about how many Indians you can kill and how slavery was just great. I just, I want to. And, but Dylan, come on. Put be, the brakes on. Let's steal man Mr. Shapiro here, okay? He's saying, yeah, that stuff happens. These guys did horrible shit, but it's super, super awesome because of something. Anyway, not so fast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's, let's continue. Yeah. yeah, let's continue. So not so fast here. It's not the age of enlightenment, according to Shapiro. That's a true secret sauce or perhaps flavoring from Cambridge Analytica (laughs) to the West success. It can ultimately be traced to two sources, which are, he admits, seemingly very much at odds with one another. But it turns out, like love and marriage, you can't have one without the other. (laughs) So first, there's ancient Greece. Shapiro tells us, quote, Greek thinking posits that we only know truth by what we observe, test, and measure. It is not faith, but fact that drives our understanding and exploration of the universe. So this is great and all, except for the fact that this isn't even remotely true. Okay, and first off, oh, that's a problem. That's a problem. Just so everyone knows, like, I didn't go to Prager University. In fact, I didn't go to any university. I'm a very uneducated artist, starving artist, moron. But even I know that this isn't true. So Plato, Pythagoras, and Socrates were rationalists who believed true knowledge was gained through doing the exact opposite of observing, testing, and measuring, which is also known as empiricism. And when it came to Aristotle, eh, he kind of waffled back and forth from being a rationalist to an imperialist. And by the way, imperialism or empiricism wasn't even a thing at this time. I mean, maybe at best you could call Aristotle like a pseudo empiricist, I'd say. Yeah, I think it partly has to do with how we're defining empiricists to make that annoying move. I mean, one way that rationalism versus empiricism are used is in terms of like innate ideas or innate knowledge. And so um, Plato and Socrates were definitely rationalists in that sense. And Aristotle definitely was an empiricist in that sense. Yeah, relative in, to that sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be so. I mean, for example, Socrates, this is really there's this really funny uh, Platonic dialogue where Socrates kind of walks a slave through a geometric proof. And his view is that what's really going on, the way he's learning it, is by re-remembering the innate knowledge, the the innate geometrical knowledge he has inside himself. And it's this fun metaphor of, like, literally there's, like, a birdcage of your soul, and you, like, go inside and reach out and grab the birds of knowledge. It's really funny. I like this. And so Aristotle definitely was an empiricist in the sense of rejecting that. But, I mean, really, nobody, it's not that rationalists deny that we gain knowledge through experience and observation and measurement. It's generally that they also believe in another kind of knowledge, namely a kind of knowledge that's in, into intuitive or intellectual or something like that, which allows us to gain knowledge of metaphysics right. or it, mathematics it, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I, the way I would think about it is ultimately Plato believed, for example, that this whatever our senses got was all illusory anyway. So you couldn't have any yeah. true knowledge. Yeah. From experience. But I mean, you're right. It's not as if that all the objects of their experience, they just ignore it all the time. It's, it's not like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I use the phrase like super rationalist. I mean, there's a sense where 
Um, folks like Plato and Parmenides is a really good example who think that the experienced world, the world of change, the world of things coming into existence and going out of existence is an illusion. And that really there's just one thing. It's indivisible. It's eternal. It's unchanging. Um, but that's a I very do, rare I do, rationalist view. I do remember, though, that like with Aristotle, it would be weird things like he would claim that women had less teeth than men, I think, was one of the things. And it's like he never bothered to check that. He just said, oh, it's true. Yeah, I mean, when then, you like, when you're basically, you know, inventing... that's what I mean. So there wasn't there was no here's the thing. There was no like systematic type of what you would call modern science was the thing, even though they kind of dabbled in it like once in a while, I guess is the best way. To I mean, it. I think he basically like invented it. I mean, so it's going to suck. I mean, he was like the first right. one, I mean, to do all this kind of stuff uh, to like really yeah. have a systematic, uh, systematic writings on logic and on, on science. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. Uh, certainly, but he was the first. I mean, so he's going to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Give him some credit. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, think about all that Dylan and I just said, and then compare that to the cartoon caricature that um, <laughs> Ben Shapiro presents to us at Prager University. And we did it in less than okay. five minutes. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> it is a you problem. So it's it, a Prager you problem. <laughs> all right, everyone, start oh, the man. memes right now. It's a Prager you problem. So getting back to that, in fact, the earliest forms of empiricism in any systematic sense can possibly be said to come from the East, not the West. For example, in the ancient Hindu philosophy of Vaisheshika, according to Wikipedia, the epistemology of Vaisheshika school of Hinduism accepted only two reliable means to knowledge, perception and inference. Perception is of two types, external and internal. External perception is described as that arising from the interaction of five senses and worldly objects, while internal perception is described by this school as that of inner sense, the mind. So I would say like this example is way closer to like what you would call like a systematic system of kind of empiricism than maybe anything like Aristotle even came up with. And indeed, it's not until the 16th century when you get anything like our modern sense of empiricism. It's not until later on in the 18th century with Locke, Hume, and Berkeley, and in the 19th century with John Stuart Mill, that you get your raw, unadulterated empiricism. Yep, yep. And that's all led us to the great modern-day empiricist, Stefan Molyneux. So there <laughs> Oh, clearly, land. clearly. Yep. All right, so anyway, let's get back. This is all this, you know, libtard philosophy PhD nonsense. Let's get back to the real cool stuff from Ben Shapiro. So Ben Shapiro, as we've already said, is off to a pretty bad start. As as we're as you might have guessed at this point, things are a little more nuanced. <laughs> a few more hedges need to be made before we make these very confident assertions. And we barely dug into the video, so let's continue. <laughs> so what's the second source of wisdom? Did I really need to tell you? I mean, come on, it's the Judeo-Christian heritage of our culture. Oh. And Brent, so we're going to let Brent yes. in because we heard the philosophy expert talk. But Brandt is an expert on Judeo-Christian heritage. <laughs> he is one of the authoritative sources. Oh, <laughs> yes, he so is. true. Brent, maybe you can give our audience, a, you know, a few examples of the kinds of progressive and enlightened things the Bible has to say about war, genocide, slavery, and environmental destruction. So, Brent, what, what do you have to say about this? So, you know, honestly, right off the bat, we're going to the everyone open your Bibles uh, to Genesis one twenty eight. Uh, first, you'll see that God is telling humans to make the earth its bitch um, and subdue <laughs> it and rule over it and rule over the fish and the birds and shit. It's not a direct quote, but. Oh, I was going to say, what version of the Bible is this? This, this is. I think that's the uh, that's the uh, WKJV, the woke King James version yes, that I believe we is. talked about in our last episode. It is. I thought it was the WWF version of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> 
And now entering the ring is Noah. <laughs> okay, so then let's keep going here. So you have the First uh, Samuel fifteen three, which one says, Samuel. Quote, "One Samuel, one Samuel." You're right. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children. Mm. And infants. Oh, and why not? Cattle, boy. sheep, camels, and donkeys. Are you sure so, this isn't coming from the Quran? Because I've heard this. That's way worse. <laughs> okay, I'm not done. So there's still here. There's a couple more fun ones here. Exodus 21, 20 through 21. It's um, if a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. Oh, so um, that's good, right? Right? Uh, Sorry, guys. Sorry. That was verse 20. Let me keep going <laughs> to verse 21. If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. Oh, so that's nice. Good. nice. That, that oh, makes that's sense. sense. That's very progressive. It's almost as if God is sanctioning slavery, but hmm. it's not all doom and gloom, guys. For example, Exodus 21, 26 to 27, quote, if a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. <laughs> wow. What the fuck? So, God is good, guys. If you lose an eye or your teeth from your routine beating as a slave, you may have your freedom. Oh, oh that's man. nice. There's there's at least that's, an out. Yeah. So and, the, know, key, honestly, the okay, key okay. is to only buy blind right. and toothless slaves. Yes. <laughs> that's the loophole. Okay. So that, you know, that's okay. That's the old outdated old Testament. So the new Testament's way more progressive. It's way more modern. Oh, sorry. Never mind. First Peter two eighteen quote slaves and in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to also to those who are harsh. Oh, so nice. go ahead and do both. All right. All right. All right. And, fear, and fear of turning this into the Don Baker failures of Christianity, 170,623 part series of the <laughs> atheist experience. I'll stop here and uh, not get into the sexism, homophobia and rape in the Bible. So let's go back to the, the topic here. I just I just imagine I you have a giant card catalog of like every single <laughs> yeah. fucking bullshit. I know. As soon as Horace asked me that, I broke out the uh, microfish and got it. <laughs> Got it going. <laughs> I was like back into gear. All right. So in the world of Shapiro's cartoonish caricature of ancient Athens and ancient Jerusalem, striking the right balance between faith and reason is desperately needed. Lest mm. you become a communist revolutionary or perhaps a member of ISIS. Quote, ah, good. without Judeo-Christian values, we fall into scientific materialism. The belief that physical matter is the only reality and therefore also fall into nihilism. The belief that life has no meaning, that we're merely stellar dust in a cold universe. Okay, so seriously though, maybe I'm alone in this, but I find it fascinating that I'm made up of stardust and the cold and indifferent universe devoid of any ultimate meaning doesn't make me feel nihilistic. It actually makes me more appreciative of life and appreciate what little time I have to make it a meaningful one. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's just... Yeah, I know. Well, no, me and you, you know, we've discussed this for us before. I'm totally on the same page with you on this one. I mean, I find it sort of comforting to realize how cosmically insignificant I am. I mean, life being full of mysteries is kind of what, you know, makes life worth living. It kind of... I don't know. Yeah, it's honestly, meaning. I wish I yeah. wish the universe was a little colder because it's getting hot in this closet. Um, it is. But anyway, drenched. Um, it's also <laughs> it's just straightforwardly false that rejecting Judeo-Christian values entails scientific materialism. Yes. Um, yes. Especially yes. when that's defined as thinking literally only matter is real. I mean, first of all, nobody thinks only matter is real. There's things like <laughs> forces and gravity and force fields and whatever. The ancient Greeks do, Dylan. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but there's, I mean, there's all, there's plenty of views in metaethics and literature on the meaning of life that offer either objective moral facts or a meaning to life without God. So it, it, like there's options, like just because yes. you reject a Judeo-Christian God does not mean you're automatically enrolled in scientific materialism. I've heard it was Jesus or nothing, but maybe. Well, <laughs> not on this podcast. Uh, back to Ben, quote, without Greek reason, we fall into fanaticism. The belief that fundamentalist adherence to unprovable principles represents the only path toward meaning. I was unaware that the Greeks invented reason, but, uh, you know, I'll move on. (laughs) Dylan, enough of your facts over feelings here. This is... (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. What is this? We're progressive libtards. We're supposed to be feeling-based only. That's true. That's what Ben says. All right. Continuing, Ben. The Soviet Union, Communist China, and other socialist tyrannies rejected faith and murdered 100 million people in the 20th century. Okay, so I know that this has been said ad nauseum, but it's worth repeating. The communist tyrannies didn't kill people specifically in the name of atheism. Even though they promoted official state atheism and persecuted religious people, it's an oversimplification to say their driving motivation was the lack of belief in a deity. Rather, they killed... They killed so-called class enemies in the name of revolutionary socialism, which happened to include religious institutions. And the cult-like allegiance to the dear leader and dogmatic adherence to narrow interpretations of socialist political philosophy wasn't reason or evidence-based, but totally faith-based. So I just had to say that because it just annoys me every time I hear this. I I really like the idea of an atheist tyranny that does commit genocide because there's no God, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, (laughs) but that would be kind of fun. It would be fun to see. And if it happened, I'd be like, okay, that you could say that they did it in the name of atheism, but we have not seen it yet. Really weird. Yeah. Cause like, if you're a communist, I get it. Like, okay, you think these people are class enemies, so you got to kill them. At least there's like an entailment there. Right. Um, it's insane and, and cruel and, and disgusting, but it's there. But like, I don't know how you get from, there is no God to, I got to kill all these people. <laughs> it's, it's hard. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you make that inference. So, okay. Back to Ben. Much of the modern Muslim world has rem- has embraced faith but rejected reason. It's noteworthy that when the Muslim world did embrace Greek reason from the 8th to 14th centuries, it was a leading center for scientific advancement. All right, so here's the thing. This emphasis on the, on the word noteworthy, it reminds me of something my good friend Gilbert once said, and this is, when it's a white civilization that builds something cool, these morons say, of course they built their civilization from the ground up and all on their own. But if it's a brown or black civilization, then of course it was the ancient aliens that helped them. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. So that's a good one. Vintage me in that's age well. I also love because Ben Shapiro is very worried about Muslims. But it's interesting to me here how he's admitting that Islam does not automatically cause yep. people to be violent there idiots. They're, they're faith. Um, they're I faith. think that's it's very strange because, you know, it's uh, as I think I would agree with him on this point that, you know, it's the kind of the rest of the intellectual and political atmosphere um, that transforms Islam into either a, a force for peace or a force for violence. Yeah, I mean, I, and so I, it's very interesting that he says exa- this. I mean, I would say, like, mm-hmm. there is merit to the argument that when you have, like, really dumb, barbaric bullshit in these ancient texts, it's easier to then justify whatever it is that you're trying to do. So, like, I agree with that. But, yeah, it seems like in order to get out of the fact that the Old Testament also has egregious, horrible shit, just like the Hadith and the Quran... Ben is just skirting that, whereas like people within his orbit, though, that's their go to thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And with with Ben, though, he just skirts that. And the reason he has to skirt it is because it nullifies the Old Testament, which is what he's all about. So, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So now back to Ben. So again, we need both Jerusalem and Athens, revelation and reason. And yet many want to reject both. These people call themselves progressives. <laughs> so, I, so if there's one thing that I've learned, I guess I'm not a progressive. <laughs> I, I do not reject both. I had no idea. I'm learning a lot. I am learning a lot. I've learned a you. whole lot from PragerU, and I so hope much. our listeners have too. So here's the summary of the video. Blind devotion to the celestial dictator must be balanced with an incorrect understanding of ancient Greek philosophy, or else you'll become you'll become a communist jihadist and rejecting this line of thought is regressive. Thank you, Prager University. Can I get my degree now? Yes. <laughs> Actually, Forrest, where can you purchase your uh, robe and gown? You've officially graduated. Congrats. Woo-hoo! Start the celebration. Good job. And with Forrest's graduation ceremony scheduled, this is it for our uh, episode on Prager U and also for our series on clown colleges. So Brent Forrest, what did you learn in today's episode? What most appealed to you? Well, for me, one of the things that was very interesting was a lot like in the crypto craziness series when I went into the depths of the crypto pump island uh, telegram channels and all that <laughs> and saw how this stuff worked under the hood. It was like a revelation. And it's something similar here in the sense that I, I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that along with what the Cambridge Analytica Wiley guy said, it's not so much about like the substance of a political philosophy these days at all. It's about just the flavor and the way you present it and the aesthetic. That seems to be like what the whole secret to Prager University and the intellectual dark web and all these things are. It's like none of the ideas, it's supposed to be about the battle of ideas, but none of the ideas are that interesting. They're not very original. It's the same kind of recycled yeah, no. garbage yeah, we've heard a million times. But because it's in this new package, it suddenly has more, I guess, viability. And it's a very strange thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's really disturbing because, I mean, the battle of ideas is really important. Yeah. There's a lot of good, interesting and sometimes contradictory ways of dealing with either the environment or dealing with the economy or dealing with foreign policy or morality or justice or what have you. And it's really important to have discussions about those things but for people like Dave Rubin, it seems to just mean platforming crypto fascists. Like those are the only ideas that he's interested in platforming. And it's a good reason to think that it's all just a grift, and, you know, that he doesn't really care yeah. about the battle of ideas. Like David Pakman is a really great YouTuber. And if no one, if uh, someone in the audience has heard of David Pakman, go look him up. He's great. He had a really good point oh, yeah. on this. He said, like, you know, I'm all for platforming crazy people, but responsibly. And that means like holding them, holding their feet to the fire and asking responsible follow-up questions and like exposing them for what they are. But with Dave Rubin, his style is just like, Hey, wow, that's such a great point. And who would have thought, you know, that's basically all that, that he does. So it's a very, there's a big difference between, I would say, irresponsibly platforming crypto Nazis versus something like a Dave Pakman interview with Richard Spencer, where he exposes Richard Spencer for all that he is. Yes. Yeah. YouTube that video. You guys look for that. It's really funny. Oh, is that? Yeah. Um, I actually want to know, um, you know, we don't know anything about the diplomas. We know the classes are five minutes long. I want to know what the master's <laughs> program is like here. I really want to know, like, you know, what kind of You start talking really fast, like Ben Shapiro, and then <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, exactly. you get a master's well, like Really degree. high voiced and really fast. Um, if you, if you know, become this... a full on lobster, you get your PhD. <laughs> No, I, I learned literally nothing. I don't know. The, the, the two clown <laughs> colleges um, <laughs> episodes were... This one's definitely different than the first. 
uh, with Bob Jones and Liberty. So this one's well, they were in some sense, quote unquote, real universities. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. this is just the the fakest university of all. I mean, you can go and major in film if you want, I guess. I mean, one thing we could say about Prager University is that at no point did they not allow black people to watch the videos. (laughs) So there's that. That's true. What about you, Dylan? Anything? So first of all, I learned that not only do I have a better speaking voice than Ben Shapiro, but I'm also a lot smarter than Ben Shapiro, which is really... (laughs) Really depressing, given the uh, very big difference in success that uh, he and I have experienced. I think the other thing, I don't know if I learned it, but the other thing that is just so clear with this kind of aesthetic packaging is just the incredible hyperbolic statements about the left wing mob and about, you know, it's an online mob and they're totalitarian. And, you know, are there some people on the left who are kind of goofy and maybe you know, overreact to stuff. Yeah. Those people exist. I mean, for any, for any kind of club or belief system where there's more than like 10 people, there's going to be some people who are dumb, but like this, did you, do you remember that? I think you shared me a New York times article once talking about this, how one of the problems is that online, for example, like the Democrat electorate is not represented well online. So even though if like a lot of people on the left on Twitter are getting really upset about something, if you actually do the polling on the Democrat electorate at large, it's a very small percentage of those people mm-hmm. that yeah. are getting upset. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a so specific it's just, set of people. Yeah, but the way Ben Shapiro tells us to be, where you just are supposed to have facts over feelings, then that is a fact right there. So you then it would be like, okay, it would be really goofy to be hyperbolic and say this is the monolithic thing called the left. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a, that's a good point. But also just like they treat stuff like being criticized on Twitter or being, you know, added on Twitter or like boycotts of like advertisers. They treat that as though it's the same as firebombing right. bookstores right, right. or, yeah. you know, exactly. kidnapping people because they say things they don't like. Yeah. It's amazing to me just how the most hyperbolic person on the left with the kind of quote unquote identity politics quote unquote, being an SJW compared to how hyperbolic the right is on these Twitter mobs that are out to like, I don't know, kill them and crucify them in the public safe space square. It's just amazing. (laughs) Just the lack of self-awareness about how hyperbolic they are. And the greatest irony of it is that like, okay, what's the worst you can find of this kind of crowd? And you say, okay, something like Antifa. Mm -hmm. And I agree. Like, I think Antifa is disgusting, but Compared to, I don't know, the neo-Nazi white supremacist terrorism going on right now. Yeah. yeah. It seems to me like a weird, it's like a weird warped sense of priorities, I guess, is the thing that that's coming from these people. Yeah. Compared to the people they are protesting, like the Proud Boys (laughs) and Patriot Prayer. Like, you know, maybe we should mention those guys too. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah, I mean, but even then, like besides Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer, I'm, I'm saying like one of the biggest terrorist problems going on right now is not coming from the far left it's coming from the far right and it's like it just seems like a lot of those guys on quillette just kind of put that under the rug a bit yeah let's talk about antifa QAnon has killed more people than antifa like let (laughs) that sink yeah 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 also i did want to say to our listeners here that this is the last episode in our series on clown colleges and I, I know maybe some of you out there are wondering why we didn't address the biggest clown college probably of all time trump university okay just don't worry guys this is extreme foreshadowing but that day is coming down the road oh, so we oh, will oh, it's coming something is coming 
Also, for those of you who want to become a patron for $5 a month, as Dylan mentioned at the beginning, you can access our bonus episodes. We've done two so far. Uh, first being our personal hallucinogenic, um, you know, drug experiences. That was fun. And, and or hard drug experiences. <laughs> and, or, and or hard drugs, yes. And, and or deeply one... incriminating stories. Right. <laughs> yeah, yes. that too. And the second one was the full episode on the crypto king godfather of the dickening himself, John McAfee. So that was a good one. <laughs> yes. yes. Very high level individual. <laughs> Very, yeah. A great Thought voice, leader. actually. Much Thought better than Ben Shapiro's. Yeah. So the third and possible fourth bonus episodes upcoming next month will be in the vein of the Clown College series we have here. We're going to give our patrons a little taste of what it was like for me personally to attend one of the classic Clown Colleges out there, guys. College of the Ozarks. Ooh, just outside of beautiful Branson, Missouri. <laughs> very, very well, good. Young very people good stuff. will be into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do not want to miss so that. So for some reason, I went there for two years. Yeah, we don't want anybody to miss this. I went there for two years and I have a few things to say and um, <laughs> sign up now, guys. Yes. And the reason we're few, doing is a bonus episode is to barely cover it into two episodes. The things, he's, the things that Brent is going to say are very, you know, secretive type things that only our level. patron audience can get. Yeah. I become a thought oh, leader yeah. for this one. That's for sure. He is definitely a thought leader for that. So also our next episode coming up here, since this is the conclusion of the Clown Colleges series, is going to be our 50th episode. Ooh. So look Ooh. for something very out of the ordinary next week. Ooh, A new two-part series on... Yeah, we don't know. We're not going to tell you. So we It's know, a secret. We're not gonna you. You're going to have yeah. to wait. And again, that is it for our episode on PragerU and it for our series on Clown Colleges. Episode 50 next week is going to be a doozy. But until <laughs> then, we are done. Thank you for listening to None Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at NDCIO, Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at None Dare Call It Ordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash None Dare Call It Ordinary. For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at nondarecallitordinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, or wherever your podcasts are served.